Dodge Media Productions is a proud sponsor of Expose Hope, a 501c3 organization dedicated to showing the members of the adult entertainment industry that regardless of where they are at, they are cared for. Expose Hope provides gifts, resources, and time to individuals without judgment. Dodge Media Productions is committed to helping Expose Hope to reach their goals of ending trafficking. You can support their efforts by donating today. Follow the link in the show notes. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts. So this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 139, and we are talking about Night Shift, the 1982 film. So has anybody else ever seen this but me? Oh, yeah, I saw it Okay, in the 80s. All right, no, just, this is I, a fun one. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else talk about it. I thought this might be... One of those that I think I rented on video cassette. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Mr. Howard. I don't think I paid for a movie seat. Uh, I don't. I don't remember other people uh, talking about this one. So it's interesting because we, th- you know, we know Ron Howard today. You know, very prolific, right? Yeah. yeah. But this was straight. In fact, it, I was going to say this was straight from Happy Days, but well, Henry Winkler was still. I think Ron Howard had stepped away from Happy Days and maybe it was that Joni Loves Chachi kind of era where they did a little bit of Happy Days. Maybe it was was Richie like at college or whatever. Uh, and yeah. they because Henry Winkler would come sometimes from the set of Happy Days to the filming of this. And I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and then I'll come back to all of it. I want to say that some studios were a little nervous of giving this this you know the director the helm of this to ron howard because he was so green i don't believe he had he had directed much i think he'd only done one b movie before before Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. so ron howard was the director and we know him from splash in 84 parenthood in 89 apollo 13 in 95 a beautiful mind in 2001 and many many others yes this was the first studio picture that he had directed it stars Henry Winkler, and it was the first starring role for even Michael Keaton. So there's a lot of firsts in this one, which is kind of fun. Shelley Long is in this, Gina Height, Clint Howard, of course, because Ron does not make a movie without hiring his brother, which I think is sweet. That's kind. Jade Barrymore, which is Drew Barrymore's mother, and Richard Belzer, which is kind of fun. Later, Belzer goes on to do SVU... Law and Order SVU, and I believe Henry Winkler comes on as like a serial killer or something. So I just think it's hilarious. This Richard Belzer is a bad guy in this, then goes on to be a cop. Right. Well, and Henry Winkler goes on to have a recurring role on Arrested Development, which was created in uh, by Ron Howard. Yes, yes. The DP was James, James Crabe who did Rocky in 76, Whoa. the China, I know, the China Syndrome in 79, and Karate Kid Part 2 Part in uh, 86. So the studio paid for a good DP for yes, Mr. They Howard. Did. Yes, yeah, they yeah. did. And they had amazing writers. I mean, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Prolific. Are 
well, well known. You know a lot of their movies. They right. also did right. Splash and Parenthood, Robots, the the animated movie, A League of Their Own, Multiplicity. I mean, they are like a powerhouse in Hollywood. Ooh, Multiplicity is also a Michael Keaton joint, right? I don't know. I've never heard of that movie. A major studio partner's finance this movie and Warner Brothers distributed it. The synopsis for this film is a mild-mannered morgue attendant is assigned to the night shift and his new co-worker, along with his prostitute neighbor, convince him of running a prostitution ring out of the morgue. You know what what was never established that I recall is why he ended up with that job, given his... His finance skills. I think they said it early on. It's because the boss's nephew got the day shift. Right, got the day shift. He was moved to from the, the night from the day shift to the night shift. Yeah. But we never heard why he had the day shift. Like he he was in finance. There, the stress got to him. But why would you take a job in a morgue? Maybe it uh, was. Sorry, I just was thinking H and R Block would be. Maybe lower stress, but anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Buy the premise, buy the, buy the bed. Pre- yeah. Okay, uh, let's see. I have five taglines for you to choose from. Ooh, five. So let's see if we hit it out of the park better than last El week. Cinco. Meet the mousy nobody who became a spunky somebody. Okay, not bad. I've never heard of a man called mousy. Usually I've only heard that adjective used with a woman. Um, I would say it's maybe more common with women, but I think it makes sense. Huh. Ever since two enterprising young men turned the city morgue into a swinging business, people have been dying to get in. Nope. <laughs> too, too cute. Too yeah, nobody clever. dies to get with a hooker. Okay. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> well, that's their business. Oh, I see what you're saying. It doesn't make any sense. Too many words doesn't make any sense. It makes the day seem dead. Ugh. That no. doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Together, they are going to make the day pay off all night long. Okay, not very good either. The oldest profession in a new look comedy. Mm. So the first one. Yeah, I think we that landed was on our, the first that one. That was our best. So this was based on a story that I believe Baba Lou heard about somebody running a prostitution ring out of the morgue. It's clever because no one really wants to go there. No, 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 no. So they, w- they wouldn't be investigating. So a little bit of trivia. This is early screen roles for Kevin Costner and Shannon Doherty. Kev, uh, Costner plays the frat boy in the morgue party scene. It's a non-speaking part, but he can balance a solo cup on his forehead. And Doherty plays the bluebell, kind of like a Girl Scout, in the elevator scene with one line. Similar to but legally distinct from the Girl Scout. Yes. <laughs> Let's make that clear, Girl Scout says. Um, Henry Winkler took this role of the wimpy morgue director to play opposite his macho Fonzie character. He said he thought he'd play Richie Cunningham for once. <laughs> He also spoke in an interview about Ron and Michael and and they talked about how they all love the Howard Hawks films. And and you can imagine that some of the morgue scenes, they kind of have they were saying that sped up 40s kind of accent, kind of like in his Girl Friday. 
<laughs> yeah, so what you can say there. Yeah. <laughs> this was the very first collaboration with Brian Grazer and Ron Howard. That's worked out to be lucrative, I think. Oh, this is what I was talking about. Richard Belzer plays one of the thugs and is... Oh, and in real life is Henry Winkler's cousin. And they didn't know this until they got on the set of Night Shift. That they were cousins or that they were on the same that film? They, that, they were, that they were cousins. Wow. And then Belzer goes on to be part of Law & Order's special victims unit, a specifically trained squad of detectives in New York City Police Department that investigates sexually related crimes. And he got his start in a movie about sexually related crimes. I'm just going back to how can you be cousins and not know it? <laughs> I don't know. And then if you guys keep your eyes peeled, one of the women in the prostitution ring, her um, the actress's name is Ola Ray, and she is the girl that plays Michael Jackson's date in the video thriller, Michael Jackson's thriller. So she was busy in the 80s. <laughs> she was. She had a good career. All right. What's the pickup line for Night Shift? Hey, you're going the wrong way. Oh, well, that kind of tracks yeah, a little bit. Not, not bad. So the reason that Mike, for any new listeners, says the pickup line is he has a theory that it, and it's not just your theory, right? This is a, As far as I know, it's my theory. Oh, okay. <laughs> I probably I borrowed had, it from John Wooden or somebody. But I, th- I thought when we had Dustin on, he said that your first line should kind of kick off what the feel of the movie is going to be. Well, in general, in storytelling, that's true, but I don't know. I'd, I'd love it if Truffaut or somebody like <laughs> said this and I is parallel evolution, but more likely somebody bright said it and I read it and then forgot to give them attribution. But yes. yeah, um, the idea here behind it is just you want to get into the action as fast as possible. And so you can establish your theme, your, your thesis statement immediately. So speaking of that, that it got into your head, I watched an interview with um, Lowell and Babalu. Right. And he said that he was watching an episode of the, is it the Mary Tyler? No, the Dick Van Dyke show. The one where Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke are married. You remember that one? That's probably the Dick Van Dyke show. And he said, and there's a scene where they're called to the principal's office and... They're talking to the principal and they're kind of, you know, they're feeling bad that their kid did something wrong and got themselves in trouble. And I think Dick says something kind of like blames Mary for something. And he was like, I had no idea that probably I'd watched that when I was younger that got embedded into the back of my head. And then when he does parenthood. Oh, okay. I could tell you didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where you were going. Uh, but then he writes the parenthood. Office. Yes. Yeah. And so he was like, I didn't mean to copy that, but just stuff happens. Stuff gets put in. Yeah, that very well could be. Um, yeah. And so I, I mentioned John Wooden because the, there is an aphorism I came up with and I was very proud of myself. And then years later, I read that John Wooden said it. So I'm sure I read that in high school and just forgot where I read it. And then one day, many years later, thought I was being intelligent. So Kind of like Razor X's brother. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> For the listener, the basically through line here is I'm not nearly as bright as I think I am. <laughs> not true. Not true. You're very bright. And then I felt like this was very cliche in the 80s 
women, well, maybe this is all time, but it just very much felt like women just working really hard to work out and break a sweat and lose weight. Oh, but in particular with the ridiculous exercise equipment. So in this one, it's one of those stationary bicycles where the handles go forward and backward. And I don't know if you're supposed but to like work. Seat, your, I thought moved or something. Yeah. Your abdomen or something, but it sets up a, a great scene when Henry Winkler's character tries to lean in for a kiss. Like that's how, <laughs> yeah. that's how kind of dopey he is that she's wibbling back and forth and he's trying to get a kiss. Just wait, wait till she finishes. Yeah. And then I wrote that. I said, they try to kiss funny sight gag yeah yeah there's the, your ubiquitous crowded subway scene montage when as he's going to work i think and i believe they shot that on the actual subway it looked like mm-hmm. which again only in new york could you move a film crew onto a subway <laughs> car and no one cares right <laughs> leonard carbone i love the name yeah that's the boss's nephew Oh, yeah, there's a great line in there where he says, oh, yeah, I think he's my nephew. Yeah, Uh, yeah, he's your nephew. Under writing, I have, he comes to work on that first day that he's on the night shift and he's setting up his desk. And so he's pulling plants out of lockers and he's putting his pictures on his desk. And it just so reminded me of that scene from Joe versus the volcano when he's setting up his desk to make it personal because since he shares a desk with Leonard Carbone, he has to, um, and he brings the plants out and he's, setting it up and it's like quiet and peaceful and then in comes michael keaton as bill blozowski the i have a note here under sets that the morgue office reminds me of joe versus a volcano oh yes and i also made a note of the old ficus in a locker gag (laughs) don't see that as much anymore um But from a writing perspective, right, the fact that he just, you know, goes along with being transferred to the night shift uh, and that he knocks quietly on the door when he has to tell the neighbor to be quiet, both establish that Chuck is a very meek character, which at the time was playing against type, as we we mentioned that he was playing Fonzie. However, knowing Henry Winkler and all of his work since... This doesn't seem too far out. This seems exactly kind of in his oeuvre because he is a sweet person. Yeah. He's not, you know, the Fonz. Um, that's he just is, acting. He is known. Like, I defy you to pick, find someone in Hollywood that says he was a dick. Right. It's just, and um, we just saw on on a, a documentary show where uh, a professional football player, he'd invited him to his house. He was going to make him uh, like, I think it was like some sort of chicken Chicken, dish or something. And, and and then watching this player interact with him, you're just like, Oh my gosh, he really is just the the sweetest person. So the, the thought of him like this, kind of really is closer to who I think he is walking around and the thought of the Henry Winkler that we've come to know and love being a pimp is hilarious. Right. Like that's just naturally funny. Well, he didn't, I mean, this wasn't his idea. He didn't come to it. This was definitely Bill's idea and he kind of drug him along. Right. But I think they both took joy in that they were doing it in a different way that, you know, I love the profit sharing. Well, see, that's what I remembered from this film is, uh, you know, it is a comedy and yeah. it's kind of broad in some places, but the 
fundamental conceit of, wait a second, there's a lot of money changing hands here and the people doing the work are getting so little of it. That itself is naturally an opportunity for, oh gosh, what do the startup people say it? Uh, there's some term they have to, you know, revolutionize the market or disrupt. That's it. They call it disrupt the market. This is ripe for disruption. Someone could come in and then you might say, oh, well, it's uh, illegal and hence it would be difficult to disrupt it. Okay, but even just locally, right, even if you don't make a franchise, if one individual gives the girls twice as much money, he would then acquire the best talent. So that's a, a fundamentally, I'm sure there are other factors at play, but it makes sense. Like logically it holds together that a person like him in finance would look at this and say, oh, well, there's a ton of money you guys are leaving on the table. Let's fix that. Yeah. And I think... It very much was a little bit of an empowerment. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not saying that this could maybe actually be the, yeah, the you know, maybe I mean, it, living in the world of the film, let's just say that, you right. know, who was I just listening to? Oh, it was, was it John Landis? I was doing so much research for all our films this <laughs> month that it, they're bleeding together, but somebody, or it was, oh, it was Eddie Murphy. No, it was Eddie Murphy because we have trading places coming up. And he was saying, I don't think films should try to speak to, it's kind of like what uh, Barkley said, right? I don't, don't look to films to look for a message. <laughs> right. We're just trying to entertain you. Yeah. We're trying to make you laugh or smile or cry right. or yeah. have an emotion over the next two hours. We're not trying to, and this was in the eighties. And so maybe some filmmakers, I, you know, I would say a Darren Air. Or I can't say his last name, Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Yeah, he definitely is trying to put forth a message. But Eddie was saying, like, I'm not trying to, to give you a, a message or a lesson, or I'm not trying right. to teach you anything or enlighten you. I'm just trying to entertain you. And so in this world of the, it's very empowering for these women to now be making probably eight times what they used oh, to. Yeah. And as we establish, they purchase a burger franchise. Right. And I would argue that I think the mob has laundered money through fast food franchises too. So, But that's not why they were doing it. Weren't they trying to better the, like, guess what? You don't have to lay on your back anymore. You can actually run this franchise. Well, yes, but it, I think it still is money laundering because the, they invested the money from their criminal activities in, into, uh, and now it's legal money. So nonetheless, my point is just that it's actually yeah, kind of empowering in that universe, right? I in think the, that's, yes. um, and so you see that the, that the women that work for this organization, they are happier and better off. And one of the things that they don't really address is pr providing safety for these individuals who are, in essence, working without a place of business. They're kind of, I guess, independent contractors. But security would be a big deal especially if there's money involved, but that's important right now. Like you said, we're not, we're not trying to, <laughs> to put together a blueprint on how to do this. It's right. just a movie. It's just a movie. There's montage when they are making all of the money and the, the song that's playing is girls know how to do. So kind of that just furthers the, you know, kind of that they're being empowered. Oh, I love all of Bill's inventions, like <laughs> edible garbage feeding mayo to tuna to make making tuna salad easier. <laughs> that sounds like making foie gras. 
this was all done in New York City and that very much you get the feel from downtown New York and all the sex shows in Times Square because this was the 80s. It was before Times Square got kind of cleaned up. Is there anything else you have? I have one thing in sound I was going to say. Well, from a writing perspective, there, there's another thing that's not quite explained, which, and maybe the answer is this is New York in the 80s, but why is there a like bellicose, belligerent, violently aggressive dog just wandering the hallways of this apartment building? <laughs> oh, yes. It's not a small dog, right? And just everybody's like, oh, well, you know, there's no, the dog. It's, it's like a Rottweiler or something. It's a big dog. It's a big dog and he seems pretty angry. Yeah, yeah, that was never explained. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also interesting that uh, the giant cowboy, who is uh, a patron of Shelley Long's character, is wearing some tidy whities that have a, a high waist that would have been in fashion in 1776, perhaps not in 1981. Those suckers were tall. <laughs> like, that was quite, quite a bit underpant. Well, we get a return of Burke Baccarat. Get out. Was he busy during the 80s or he what? He was very busy. <laughs> he was living it up. We have a friend who helped him home one drunken evening. Well, apparently, I wonder if it was in the 80s. He was probably partying pretty good pretty after good. all of these movies. <laughs> so in this film, you hear the first recorded version of That's What Friends Are For by Bert and his, I believe... They were married, but maybe I'm getting this confused. She was married to somebody else. Um, Carol Bayer Sager. It was first recorded in 1982 by Rod Stewart for this soundtrack, but then it was made globally famous three years later by Dionne Warwick with a collection of known vocalists, including Gladys Knight, Sir Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. And their version went to number one for three weeks on the Billboard charts in 1986, and it was recorded as a benefit for the American Foundation for AIDS Research. And the sale of that record made $3 million for that cause. So I, I would say that I had never heard the Rod Stewart version, but I saw this film, so I obviously heard it at least once. But I thought the Dionne Warwick version was the only version. Agreed. All right, any head trauma in the film Night Shift? Well, uh, as we mentioned, uh, Chuck gets a semi-headbutt when he tries to kiss Charlotte when she's on the exercycle. Gets a Glasgow kiss. Yeah, right. Very much good good callback. <laughs> and then uh, Chuck throws the limo keys into Bill's eye. So that's kind of like head trauma. Yeah, ouch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That'll leave a mark. So we kind of, the smoochie, there was a little bit. Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Revealed in the head trauma. Was there another smoochie? Yes. Then Belinda kisses Chuck in her apartment on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. Yeah. And how about a driving review? Well, you know, nothing says pimp quite like a white 1980 Cadillac Savannah Yeah. That was a pimp car. And then it was interesting that the morgue uses a 74 Cadillac ambulance. I didn't know that this deep into the 80s, we were still using conversions of sedans for ambulances. I thought we had already moved to vans. And the reason for that, I think, and I invite any of our EMTs to 
help me out on this one, is because the van format with the box on the back, it's easier for the EMT to work. You can stand up and move around, whereas in the back of this, uh, basically, yeah, ambulance and and, uh, hearse were basically the same chassis there. That was a little odd. At one point, he says, it's a limo, ain't it? (laughs) And then it's a limo for dead people. So uh, that's an important (laughs) distinction. I feel like Bill said that. Yeah. Yeah. And then that silver 78 Buick Regal for the pimp mobile that the the guys drive has really been heavily modified. That's not how it came from the factory. The, The real key is those exposed side pipes along the car. Now, why I mention that is that's a great way to burn your leg getting yeah. out of the car. That's a, that's a, that's a, a tough, a tough thing. You don't, you generally don't want to do that. Yeah, a lot of people probably that worked around those had those like oval shaped burn marks <laughs> yeah, in yeah, their right. calves. I actually know a person who who had exposed side pipes on their vehicle and uh, their date on their first date, she burnt her leg on, on the ouch. side pipes. Not cool. Ouch, ouch, ouch. There was no second date. <laughs> All right, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. All righty. We watched this on Apple TV, I will say that, but it was only $2.99, probably because of how old it is. Um, <laughs> it uh, had a budget of $8.1 million, and it made $21 million. So it did quite well and adjusted for today. That would be like a filmmaking $65.5 million. It got a score of 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics loved this film at 93%. Audience is surprisingly not as much at 63%. I thought this film was pretty funny, so I don't... Yeah, I liked it. I'm not sure what what they didn't like about it, audiences. It was an hour and 46 minutes in length. It was rated R, or is rated R, and it is listed as a comedy. Michael Keaton won the Best Supporting Actor Award at the Kansas City Film Critics Circle Award, which I think it's deserved. And it's kind of, he speaks very, I don't want to say lovingly. He speaks fondly? Yeah, fondly of this film. And he enjoyed working with Henry Winkler. You found out that Henry Winkler didn't, or uh, Shelley Long did not like working with Henry Winkler, though. Well, I think it was the other way around. Henry didn't like working with Shelley. Oh, 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 okay. I said it right the first time. So that's a shame. Um, He did mention it on one video I saw, and he just said that she was a classically trained actor. And then he had Michael, who was kind of improving quite a bit. And that kind of was tricky to work between the two. So now I think we see why she was cast as Diane in Cheers. (laughs) Right, a little pinch faced a little bit okay join us next week when we are going to talk about trading places and then we will wrap up the month with leaving las vegas if you have not gotten your guess as to what the theme of this month is please send it in to christy at dodgemediaproductions.com and you can find that email link in the show notes and never ever ever forget dodges never stop and neither do the movies Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 